0: Well, good evening, everyone. It is such an honor to be up on this stage. My name is Pastor Matt Yonker, and those of you who are tuning in online, we just want to say a big welcome to you for for joining us on your computer screens or your phone screen or wherever you're tuning in from. Um, Like I said, I'm Pastor Matt Yonker. I've been on staff here for seven years in our pastoral care department, um, where we basically, what I tell people is from birth to death and everything in between— We got you covered. We're here to pastorally care for the people. Um, And so that's where I've been working for the past seven years. However, I've been attending this church since I was like, yay, high, And right over in this section, like the sixth row back, was where I was sitting when I got saved. So this room is special to me, and it's such an honor to be up here speaking to all of you tonight, here in person and also online Let's get right into it. Tonight, we're going to be taking a break from the Fruits of the Spirit series. We'll get back to that next week. Um, But tonight's message, I've entitled The Miracle in Your Basket. For those who want to follow along in your Bible, you can start turning to Mark 6, and we're going to go through verses 30 through 52. And I want us to look at this story in the Bible that's entitled Jesus Feeds the 5,000. Now, I'm sure most of you here, and online, know this story. If you don't really fully know it, you've probably heard about it, but then there may be the few that walked in here, joined us online, who are like, I have no idea why I'm here, I have no idea why I tuned in, but I am, and I don't even know what you're talking about. That's okay, because my prayer is that we will all take something from this message, something new, something that we haven't heard before. We're going to dig the gold out of this story, the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And uh, so my prayer is to um, pull the gold out and maybe notice something that we haven't noticed before in the story. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are here. Father, that your Holy Spirit is here. Father, I pray that you open the hearts that are listening tonight. Father, I pray that you'd speak through me, that your words would stand true and my words would fall. And Father, we just thank you for the wonderful God you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get into it. Mark 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there are so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they ask? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept the bread, kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and after the disciples picked up all 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While while he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost." They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So let's unpack this story. This story starts off with the disciples all excited about what they just did. They came back from doing missions, trips, helping people, healing people, and they are excited and they're telling Jesus all about what they did. And Jesus realized they must be tired, they must be hungry. So, hey, because you're tired and hungry, let's go to the remote place and rest. So let's get on the boat, they get on the boat, and they start to leave. However, as you can read throughout the Bible, wherever Jesus is, people show up. So people saw. The disciples and Jesus get in the boat, and they followed them along the shore. So much so that by the time they got there, all the people were gathered on land when they got off the boat. And so, doing what Jesus does best, he starts speaking and teaching and sharing gifts that they can have. And so, as this goes on for a little bit, the disciples are still tired, they're still hungry, and so they assume that the people would be also. So I can imagine that they're huddling up and saying, all right, all right, we're tired, we're hungry, we don't really want to be here, we really want to rest, we really want to eat, um, so maybe we should like Try and like convince Jesus to, you know, send the people away because I'm sure they're hungry too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Let, let's do that. So they go up to Jesus. And they say, hey, um, so it's late. And, you know, we should probably let the people uh, go get some food. You're doing a great job. I mean, you're really kind of, the thing you said about—oh, my goodness, that was awesome. But, hey, what about the people? You know, we should probably let them go get something to eat. And so, Jesus, something he usually does, right before he gets ready to do a miracle, Jesus says, great idea. You feed them. See, Jesus wanted to know if his disciples were willing to invest into their request. But misunderstanding him, the disciples started to give reasons why they couldn't do that. They started to give some excuses. Like, there are too many people. The Bible says 5,000, but back in that day, they only counted the men. They were men, 5,000 men, and their families. So you had the women and children there as well. Smart Bible people, they're known as scholars, say that there was upwards of 15,000 people in the crowd. So that's a lot of people to feed, and that's pretty daunting. And then they said, well, you know, we don't have enough money to buy food for all these people, which is probably true. That'd be a lot of money to pay for 15,000 people's dinner. You know, we can do that sometimes. We request things and ask for things But when God asks us to do something, we're not willing to invest into what he's about to do. Our response sometimes can be, yeah, well, you know, I don't have enough money right now to to give to this charity or or to do what you're asking. um, uh, But still just wondering, hey, could you send a little my way? Uh, Yeah, but you know, I don't have that degree. Like you need a degree to do what you're saying i I should be doing, but I don't have that degree i, I I'm not educated enough I can't do that, yeah, but you know I, I I'm tired, I just got done with work and and maybe maybe just give it to the person that's like bouncing off the walls all the time, yeah, but you know i I'd, I'd love to pray for this person um I've been a Christian all my life, and I go to church every day I, I learn everything about what it is to pray for people and about healing and whatnot but you know, I'm not a pastor. You know, I'm not equipped to do it. So um, just go tell a pastor to do it because they're better equipped than I am. Or we might say, yeah, but you know, I don't have time to do that. But Jesus is sitting there saying, that isn't what I'm asking. He says, I know what you don't have. But what I'm asking is, what do you have? See, we have the ingredients in our life to make a seed for a miracle to take place. We need to take what's in our hands, and we need to recognize it. If you work with tools, working on cars, Use those tools to the best of your ability and be the best mechanic in the area. If what's in your hand is a plunger, be the best plumber you can be. See, Jesus cannot multiply what we do not recognize. For him to multiply, we need to go and see what we have, not what we don't have. So church, what is in your hands it may not always be something exciting, it may not be something that you dreamed about, but we need to honor God with what he's given us so that he can multiply it. You know, when I was younger, growing up, middle school, high school, my dad owned a landscaping business, and any time we had summer break, spring break, a weekend that things needed to get done around the nursery or trucks needed to be cleaned or bark needed to be spread at customers' houses or businesses, I was made to work. I absolutely hated it. Hated it. Hated it with a passion. I was always so frustrated. Why do I have to go to work on my spring vacation? Vacation. Work is not a vacation. But most of the time, I worked hard most of the time, Um, My dad isn't here to say otherwise, so most of the time, I worked really hard, and I took what was in my hands, and I did it to the best of my ability. See what I didn't realize is that my parents were instilling in me certain values that I would need later on, the value of hard work, the value of knowing how to buy things, how to get things, where things come from, that things don't just appear out of thin air, money doesn't grow on trees, that you have to work hard to get what you want. And Jesus took those values and instilled them into me and multiplied it. You see, we need to take what's in our hands, whether it's enjoyable or not, and say, God, Use me in this. Fill in the blank. So Jesus tells the disciples to go and find out what food they have. So imagine 12 disciples standing by Jesus looking out amongst 15,000 people. That's a huge need. A lot of times we can see the huge amount of need. And we get daunted by it. And we're like, well, I really want to do something about it, but man, it's just too big for me. So we say, because I can't do everything, I just won't do nothing. But God asks, I'm not asking you to do everything. God knows you can't do everything. What he's asking us to do is to do something so that he can then step in And do everything. Church, we can't do everything. But we must do something. So the disciples go out. And they bring back with them five loaves of bread and two fish for 15,000 people. Figure that ratio out. Really, figure it out because I'm not a math person and I don't really feel like figuring it out. So... If any math people are out there, figure that out. You know, in John's account of the story, they said it comes from a little boy. And I got to thinking that this little boy recognized what was in his hand. And he used it for God to multiply. And looking at it, it sounds impossible. But what I have realized, and I often forget and have to be reminded of it from time to time, is that impossible is where Jesus starts. Sometimes we can be out living life and come into hard times, and we might be thinking, man, how, how will I be able to feed my family this week, let alone feed myself? Man, I'm suffering with this depression that I just can't seem to shake. I don't see an end. It's impossible. You see, but it is in those moments of impossible, impossibility where God gets to work. Share a, a story. My wife and I have been looking for our forever home. And walked through some houses, didn't really like it. And we found a house just recently. And we're like, yeah, we could see ourselves living here. And we decided to put an offer in. It's an impossible situation in this market, as most of you know. Houses are going for anywhere from twenty to $70,000 over. And we're like, well... We probably won't get it, but let's just give it a shot. You know, if, if we get it, it's for us. If we don't, it's not. And we're going to be okay with either way, but we figured we aren't going to get it. We had a good offer, but not a great offer, and had contingencies with it. And, and so we put in the offer. And then this past Sunday, we get a call from a realtor saying, You got the house. And we just stood there like, Huh? What do you mean we got the house? And he says, I don't know how, but you just did. Something that should have been impossible in this market, God made possible. Church, nothing is impossible with God, absolutely nothing. So God then took what was not enough and he blessed it. He blessed what was not enough. Imagine if we started blessing things that wasn't enough instead of cursing what is not enough. What if we stopped complaining about, this may not be you guys here, but going to church? What if we stopped complaining about big one here, government, what if we stop complaining about our job? But instead we say, you know, this may not be the church for me, but I thank God that I live in a country that allows me to worship and praise God. I may not agree with the government, but I pray that you will give wisdom to our leaders and make godly decisions for our nation. I know this isn't my ideal job, but I thank God that I can afford to feed my family today. Sometimes church we curse the very seed that holds the ingredients to do a miracle in our lives. We need to start blessing those things that we are cursing. Proverbs 18:21 says the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Church instead of saying something like, "Well, my family got cancer so I probably will too." Absolutely not. My family may be prone to getting cancer, but no, not me, because I'm the son and daughter of the great physician who has stopped cancer in his tracks, and I am blessed with health and wholeness in Jesus' name. Instead of saying, well, my great-grandparents were poor, my grandparents were poor, my parents are poor, so that must mean I will be poor. Absolutely not. My family has a history of extreme poverty, but that ends with me, because I serve a God that is, pr- a, that is my provider, and he has given me gifts and talents that I'm going to use to honor him, and I speak a blessing that as I do what he asked me to do, he will multiply. I may take, it may take hard work, it may take time, and I may not even like it sometimes, but you know what? I am blessed and highly favored. Instead of saying, well, my dad and his dad and my brother all ended up in prison, so that must be my future, that no, absolutely not. I say that I will not end up where the men in my family have ended up because God has a plan and purpose for my life and that plan is to prosper me, not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future and, and so that I'm going to follow God's plan for my life and break the cycle of living in a 10 by 10 foot jail cell in Jesus' name. See, church, we need to start blessing our situation rather than cursing it. So, after the blessing, God broke the bread. So, the blessing is in what is not enough, but the miracle of multiplication happens in the breaking. Some of you here and online might be feeling a little bit broken tonight. You might be feeling depressed, dealing with depression. You might be struggling with finances, figuring out how you're going to pay the food on your table, the utility bill, the mortgage payment. Some of you may have been hurt by someone in the past. And you're thinking, how can God use broken old me? You may tell me, Pastor Matt, in my life, there has been a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And I do not see how God can take me out of that and use me. I want to tell you a story. I went to Bible College at Hillsong in Sydney, Australia, and got to meet a lot of really cool people from around the world. One of my friends, his name's Dan, is from South Africa. And he still lives there today. After he graduated, he went back home, because that's where his heart is. And we were talking, and he was telling me his, his story. And when he was a young teenager, he's the oldest out of all his siblings, and he's the only boy. Him and his sisters were at home. They come from a very wealthy family. They live in a nice house, Um, but they were home alone. Parents weren't home. Some men broke into the house. They tied up my friend Dan. They tied up his sisters. They put a gag in his mouth. And then in front of him, he watched these men rape his sisters. They then beat him. They then took anything they could grab that was worth a value and left. And he said, Matt, not only am I happy to be alive and that my sisters are alive. Because I know we could overcome that. My life could be completely different than what it is now. If I allowed that to affect my future. But instead, him and his sisters got help. They started to mend the brokenness that took place in their life. And today he's married with two adopted daughters, running a church in South Africa, being a light into the community that he lives in and that he preaches in. And he's changing lives. Sometimes God uses the broken pieces of our past and today to feed the multitudes of our future. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Church, God redeems the broken to feed the multitudes. Your story of the past and today will help feed the multitudes in the future. So if you're going through something, if you went through something, if you're still struggling with something, please, please, Don't try and do it alone. Get help. Forgive. And start allowing God to use your story to help others so that he can do the multiplication. Now, before the blessing and the breaking, Jesus did something. He told the disciples to divide the people into groups of 50 and 100. And I started to think, what? Why? why would Jesus do this? Like, it, it doesn't make... Wouldn't he just be better just to start doing the miracle and, and spreading it out? Like, why did he have to separate into groups of 50 and 100? I mean, could you imagine the urgent need that's needed and he decides that we're going to take the time when there's so much urgent need to split them up. Can you imagine how long that took for 15,000 people with 12 people dividing them up? I mean, like, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 30, 40, 50. I mean, it would take a long time. And imagine it's 5,000 men and their families. So I'm sure you have little kids running around. Like, I have a toddler. Imagine trying to keep her contained in a group of 50 people, while they're still trying to divide the other groups. I'm sure you had kids running all over the place. Peter screwed up his count because the kid from group A came into his group. I mean, it was probably pure chaos. Granted, this isn't in the Bible. This is just my imagination. Um, And so, but God said that he needs a system and a structure in place To handle the multiplication. You see, sometimes God speaks to leaders and he spoke to the disciples. But sometimes he speaks to church leaders. Sometimes he speaks to business people. And sometimes, you know, if they're listening, he speaks to government leaders. But he speaks to leaders. And he says, hey, yo, I'm about to get ready to do something ground shaking here. So let's get a structure and some order in place so that you can receive it. So let's take some time, and let's get things in order. But with us, it's like, no, 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 no. That takes too long. Every now and then I get some phone calls, people saying, why are you guys not doing something about this? It needs to be done like yesterday. There's a huge need here. Why are we not getting on this? Why are we not doing something? And the people there it's like, "Well, why are we getting split up to groups? This is going to take too long. I'm going to go get my own fishes and loaves because this is going to take too long." And Jesus is saying, "Hey, you know, if if you want to do it on your own, go ahead." No one's going to stop you. But if you want to get under my will, my plan, and my purpose for your life, a plan that aims to give you hope and a future, you have to get under my structure because I'm not looking for someone that cares how the fish and loaves is given to them. I want to know if they're looking beyond and seeing the source from what it is coming from. Church, we can't do things on our own. We try. But we get exhausted, we get depressed, we get frustrated. But we can get so caught up in the details that when, we, when we really should, what we really should be doing is looking to God for direction, to better prepare ourselves for what he has for us. Amen? So Jesus then does the miracle, and all are fed. A lot of times that's where we stop. And then we take the next part and have it a whole different story on how Jesus walks on water. Wow, that's awesome. But this is all still the same story here. So this is where the lesson that I really want to hit home with comes out. Jesus told the disciples to collect the leftovers and go immediately onto the boat. So they collected 12 baskets of leftovers. It's funny reading that. Ironically, there's 12 disciples, so that would mean one basket for each disciple. And I wondered, why would he have them collect leftovers? Why not give them to the people that were in need five minutes ago and will probably be in need tomorrow morning? See, Jesus, I believe, sent them on a test to see if they still remember the miracle of today into tomorrow's storms. So they set off on the boat with the leftovers in the baskets at the bottom of the boat, which represented the miracle, while Jesus went up on a hill to pray. As they got out in the water, they got caught in a storm. Jesus, being able to see them, notices that they are struggling. Church, sometimes it may not feel like it, but Jesus sees our struggles, our storms that we go through, But sometimes instead of looking at him, we get so caught up in the storm that we're in today that we forget the miracle of yesterday, which is right there in the bottom of the boat in the baskets. But Matt, that was yesterday. That was completely different. It's not today. Today is different. Matt, you don't know my past. How I've been hurt by someone I love, you don't understand. True. I don't, but God does. He sees your needs, hurts, and pains. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what makes us think that the God of yesterday wouldn't be able to take care of us today? We need to take the God of yesterday. It's right there in our baskets. Into the storms of our tomorrow. So Jesus started walking on water towards them. Wasn't planning on stopping by and saying, how's it going? But they saw him. And they were afraid. You see, the disciples knew the God of the fishes and loaves. But they have never seen Jesus walk on water. And so because this is a new miracle, because it's something different, because Jesus was showing himself in a different way, They didn't think it was God. They didn't think it was Jesus. They thought it was a ghost. See, sometimes we get used to God showing himself in a certain way in our lives. That when he appears to us in a different way, we start questioning if it's God. Church, God may do things in different ways. But he's still the same God. So Jesus gets in the boat, and the the storm is calmed. See, Jesus wasn't disappointed that they were afraid of the storm, rather, that they didn't understand the miracle of the fish and loaves. The Bible said that their hearts were hard. You see, they didn't understand that the same God that fed 15,000 people is the same God that could walk on water and is the same God that would get them out of the storm. We do the same thing. We look at our troubles today, and we freak out. And instead of looking down at our baskets and looking at the miracle of yesterday and how God got us through these certain things in life, looking at the reminder that is always there, just as the disciples had, we start to freak out about our current storm and about possible storms in the future that haven't even happened yet. And God is saying all along, why are you freaking out? I'm the same God that got you out of your previous struggles, and I'm the same God that will get you in, get you through today's struggles. The same God that got me through my struggles in life is the same God that is with me today. Church, the same God that got you out of your brokenness in the past is the same God that will bring you out of your brokenness of today. The same God that brought you this far is the same God that will bring you into your future. It always was God. It always will be God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, most of you, I'm I'm sure here and listening online, have cars which may lead to car problems. The reason why you have car problems is because when you didn't have a car, you asked for one. And now you have car problems. Some of you have problems with your job because when you didn't have a job, you asked for one. Some of you have two-year-old toddlers that test your patience. But the reason why they test your patience is because when you didn't have a kid, you prayed for God to give you one. The same God that was faithful then will be faithful now. I want to close with one final story. And it's a personal one, and it's a recent one. Um, last year was a tough year for everyone. I'm not going to diminish that. Some people had it worse than other, others. But towards the end of the year, everything piling on, I started, it was last fall, to get this annoying pain tightness in my chest. And I thought, I just won't say anything, it's nothing, nothing to be concerned about, it will go away, not going to worry about it. And I kept going, and things kept on getting stressful, and I wasn't dealing with it. Y'all, I may be a pastor, but that means nothing. I'm just like you. I want you to get that. This message is for me as much as it may be for you. And so I'm going on with life, but this pain keeps on getting worse and worse and worse, and I keep on trying to ignore it. Yet at the same time, my, my mind starts playing tricks on me, saying, what if you're having a heart attack? What if you drop dead right now? What if this happens? And that just made it worse, and it built up, and it built up, until finally one day... About three or four weeks later, I was driving home from work. And from here down to my hip, all on my right side started tingling and went numb. My right hand and arm included. I live literally three minutes away from church. I pull in the driveway. I get out, and I said, Taylor, we need to go to the ER right now. And she says, what? What? What's going on? What's going on? I'm like, just get in the car and drive. We need to go now. Urgent care? No, (laughs) ER. I'm freaking out at this point, freaking out, thinking I'm either having a stroke, I'm either having a heart attack, because my doctor keeps on saying, Matt, you have this thing called obesity. And I'm like, no, I had this thing called the love of food. Could be a hobby. Take, with it. Take, take what you want with that. Um, but all that is going through my mind, and I'm freaking out. I get to the ER. They, they, they rush me in. They hook me up to an EKG. They check my heart out. They send me off to get a CT scan, and they, they check to make sure I don't have any clots in my lungs, that I don't have any blockages in my arteries, and everything is clear. But my right side is still numb. The pain is still in my chest. And the doctor said, you can go home. Your heart is fine. Your arteries are all clear. There's no blockages in your lungs. Anything that's major is is ruled out. You are going to live. You're going to be okay. And it did give me relief. And I did start to get feeling back in my right side again after he said that. but I was still confused in what was causing this. Then it started getting thrown out there, well, Matt, maybe you're having a panic attack or an anxiety attack. I don't know the difference between the two. It was my first time having one. So we go home. I do a follow-up with my doctor. And she says, you know, Matt, I'm glad everything is good. I'm glad everything is ruled out there, but what concerns me is the neurological symptoms of your right side going numb. I want to do some more investigation in it. Let's get some more tests done. Let's get some more scans done. And let's, let's see if we can find something. My doctor's great. She's a Christian. I think the reason why this whole thing happened so, in such a God way, was because God was working through here. She gave me the best specialist that I could ever ask for. She hooked me up. But there's a whole other story to that. But, so I go and get more tests. I get a CT scan done, another one, but on my neck and my head. What she was looking for is to make sure that there were any signs of strokes or any blockages or aneurysms or whatever. They were just looking. And so usually they say, okay, well in a couple days you'll get your results. So I got my scan done, I went home, we were eating, I missed a phone call from my doctor. I listened to the voice message. So everything in your brain looks good. And I'm like, great. That means it's everyone else's problems and not mine. But we found something in your neck. And I'm like, huh? Babe, they said they found something. And I just started freaking out again. Freaking out so much that I didn't really pay attention to what she said afterwards, which was, it's nothing to be concerned about. You were probably born with it. But I'm thinking, there's something wrong. They found something. I'm gonna have to have surgery. I could die. I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, I, 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 I was freaking out. And so she said, we want to get an MRI done. And I'm like, oh, great. Another scan, another test, an MRI. What are they gonna find now? And she says, and we're going to get you in touch with a neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeon? Am I going to have to have brain surgery? Am I going to have to have my skull removed? It's gonna, this is not going to be fun. And so I go get the MRI done, still freaking out. And then I came into work, and I sat down with our executive pastor, Pastor Al. And I started telling them what's all been going on from way back when leading up to that point in time. And he starts encouraging me. He starts lifting me up. He starts praying for me. And he then said, what are you standing on, Matt? And at that point, I started to remember all the times God has always been there for me. In the midst of every storm, at that point in time, weeks after this all started, months after this all started, I finally started looking down at my baskets that were on the bottom of my boat and reminding every single time in my life that God has been there. And at that moment, my worries, my fears, my concerns started to melt away because I started to realize if God got that taken care of, he has this taken care of. And I came home and I told my wife, I don't know what's going on, but I have so much peace in this situation. I don't even care if I have to have surgery because I know God lined up the best surgeon in this state to do the surgery if I need it. If, I'm, if I get healed, awesome. I'm believing for that too. But I have peace because I know God has got me and he's got this situation and I'm going to be okay. So I met with the neurosurgeon. At this time, I'm like, God's got it. We're good. I was going in there with a battle um, of of fighting any fear that were maybe to come. If You want to throw up that picture. This right here is my MRI. You can see there the brainstem at the very top, the big round part, kind of the cone-shaped, and how it just kind of angles and drapes down. And then you can see my spine, and then the bottom of my skull. Go to the next picture. And those of you online, this is a picture off Google, so you're not going to be able to see it. But Google a normal neck MRI, and you'll be able to see what a normal neck is supposed to look like. Notice how the brain stem nicely goes straight down. I'm special, because mine doesn't do that. Go back to mine. Right at the top, you see the vertebrae that kind of goes up into the brainstem that's pushing it up. And next to it is this little chunk of bone, and then my skull, which is all one bone. You see, the one that's going up in my brainstem is my C2 vertebrae, and the one that's fused to my skull is my C1 vertebrae. I had it since birth, during your developmental stage in your younger years, your spine continues to develop, mine didn't fully develop. So my C1 vertebrae, which is supposed to be your neck joint for your skull, is fused to my skull. Never knew, had no clue. So I started talking to the neurosurgeon, I'm like, is this to explain of what's been going on, my right side going numb? And he says, I don't know. And he started going through a whole bunch of symptoms, all of which I didn't have. He says, nope, just sounds like you had a panic attack. And I'm like, huh? (laughs) And he said, but I want to see you in six months, get another MRI. I want to start picturing these out to figure out if it progresses. If we do decide to need surgery right now, you don't because you aren't getting any symptoms. If you do get these symptoms, I want to see you right away. But he said to me, like I said, I had complete peace on whatever was going to happen. And he said, you don't want this surgery. And I'm like, really? He says, yes, you don't. What we'd have to do is go in through your nose and or mouth, remove the the chunk of bone to make your spine or your, your spinal cord go down straight. And then we'd have to go around to the back, and then fuse basically most of the vertebrae in your neck, of which you lose 80% motion in your neck. And I'm like, you're right, I don't want this surgery. <laughs> so it's a good thing that I don't have to do it, right? And he said, yep. So I went home. The, the pain in my chest went away. It's never come back. Never had any more tingling or numbing sensations, whatever. Because I know God got me. Sometimes, church, we need to be reminded to look down at our miracle in our baskets, to be reminded that God has us taken care of. It took someone else to help me to remember to look down. And it's okay. It's okay to have to be reminded from time to time to look back at what God has done in our lives. It doesn't make you any less of a Christian that you have to get help. Matter of fact, I think it makes you a better Christian because you're taking the initiative and allowing God to work through things in your life so that you can be stronger, to fulfill His plan and purpose for your life. I want to ask you one big question. Do you know this God? Do you know the God of the fishes and loaves? Do you know the God that walks on water? Do you know the God that takes care of all your troubles in your past? Do you realize that He's always been there by your side even when you don't think He has? Do you realize he is the God who sent his son Jesus on this earth for the very sole purpose to sacrifice himself so that we can have eternal life? Do you know that, God? I'd like to give you an opportunity to meet him. If you'd all bow your heads, close your eyes. You say, Pastor Matt, I want to know that God. I don't have a relationship with him. I haven't accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I'd like to make that decision. And maybe there's some of you here that say, well, Matt, I made that decision, but there's some things in my life that have taken me away from him, and I'm ready to get back into the plan and purpose that he has for my life. If either one of those scenarios are you, just raise your hand. I'm not going to do the one, two, three. Just raise your hand for me. If that's you online, just type, that's me. Just type, that's me. We have a team that's ready to connect with you on that. all you would just join in and pray in this prayer out loud and those who online and here that want to receive Christ, just pray this with your heart. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Father, I've screwed up. I've sinned. But I believe that you sent your only son Jesus to save me. I believe that he died and rose again. So right now, I make you the Lord of my life. I'm not going to live for myself, but I'm going to live for you and the plan and purpose you have for me. I thank you for this gift and that I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, online and even here, if that was you, will you do me a favor? Will you text YES, Y-E-S, to 94000? Because we want to be praying for you. We want to reach out to you and, and get you going um, on your walk with Christ. It's so important. So if you do that, that'd be great, um, and, and we'd love to be able to lift you up in prayer.